Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 101, Solid State Drives 101, recorded June 30th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Hello, everyone. Wait, I just said that. Um, as, as promised last week, we're doing an entire show on SSDs. Um, hopefully some useful information, an introduction to those who are not familiar with it, and, and maybe a little bit of geekery along the way. And with me, of course, to help me do that are my stalwart co-hosts, beginning with the, uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hi, Chris. Good afternoon, everybody. How's it going? Uh, those of you who were here during the pre-show live chat understand that reference. Those of you who weren't, you missed out. Uh, and alongside him um, is, of course, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hiya, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the Element OP Faithful to another round of Everyday We've Lines. done it 100 episodes down. The number, the second hundred has begun. We are, we are in the process of of reaching 200 episodes we're just really close to really far away from it but uh one show at a time one show at a time yeah i frankly i'm gonna be honest with you i never thought this show would make it 100 episodes i really didn't um it it uh had a weak start and I, honestly i wasn't sure anybody would care who, who wants to listen to a linux show not about linux but it turned <laughs> out it's pretty cool, and as, as Seth put it so eloquently, this is life in the context of Linux. And here we go to uh, 100 more episodes. We go. Woohoo! <laughs> so uh, first off, I want to start off by saying if you are listening to this in the U.S., actually, if you're not listening to this in the U.S., tomorrow, uh, f as of the recording time, is Independence Day, which happens to fall on the fourth day of July every year. I refuse to call it the fourth of July. That's not the name of the holiday. The holiday is Independence Day. We don't say the 25th of December. We say Christmas. I, I do this little, I get on my soapbox and I preach every year on this holiday because it freaks me out. It didn't freak me out. It, it ticks me off when I hear people, professional people, news people saying, Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Well, that's just dumb. That's not the holiday. It's Independence Day. So, Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> You can do it. It just, I just, you're you're okay to be wrong. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> yes, it does. I'm wrong. At least that's what everyone else says. So. You say that to a lot yes, of people, Mark. Yes. <laughs> you can be wrong. It's okay, it's okay if you're wrong. I don't mind. <laughs> but see, there, there's two kinds of people who are never wrong in the world. There are people who are never wrong and don't mind if you're wrong, and people who are never wrong and won't let the, those around them be wrong. They're the really annoying ones. The ones who have the ah. Sheldons, right? Who have to correct everything that is misset around them. Those are the really annoying ones. Uh, I had this conversation with somebody at work just a week. This week, there's, I said, you know, there's three of us on our team. There's a team of, of about 10. I said, there's three of us that all have the same personality characteristic. You could call it a flaw. You could call it a strength. But the, the, the thing that we share is that we're never wrong. And every now and then, two of us who are never wrong disagree. And that causes problems. <laughs> really? You don't say. <laughs> but it's good. It, 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 makes us, it makes us a good team. Now, now wait. Do you have a, are you, any of you guys also have the personality trait of 
it must be done a very particular way or else it has to be scratched and redone? Um, no. Oh, you've met my dad? <laughs> See, that's my <laughs> wife. My, my wife is, there's my way of doing things and there's wrong. And it doesn't matter if we get them done. If the process wasn't the same, you're wrong. That's, that's my wife's yeah. uh, quirk. Nice save. Yes, <laughs> that's not what I was going to say. Speaking of my wife, let me let me give you a little insight into the way my marriage works. Friday after morning, around ten a.m., sitting in my cubit work, doing doing my job, being a model employee, I get a text from my wife. She says the kids and I are going to Texas uh, for a vacation for a week. We're leaving in the morning. First, I'd heard of it. So, so they're gone. They left Saturday morning, and we'll be back the Monday after Independence Day. So I am a bachelor, um, and there you go. Uh, I, I I actually had the thought because it was so sudden, and it was I'm taking the kids and we're leaving. The question was, are you coming back? Because <laughs> that's that's the kind of text that you get when somebody says, by the time you get home, the locks will have been changed. Uh, but apparently she'd been planning this for a while. We had a brief conversation about three weeks ago of, hey, maybe we could go back to Texas for that break. Um, but then there was no more said about it. I, I in fact, took t- two days off of work, the fourth and the fifth, so I could be home with my family. Um, we made <laughs> we made plans with other people on the third. There's uh, there's 15 pounds of meat waiting for me to, to cook it so that we can enjoy it on the fourth. Um <laughs> they're all in texas i might have to come up the fifth if you need help <laughs> 15 pounds of meat i i get two days off for the 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 uh independence day i get the fourth and the fifth so i don't know Lucky. what to do with a paid holiday i haven't had one in so long well maybe you can uh find my wife and uh spend the holiday with her since i won't be able to <laughs> Um, although I did get a, a warning from the uh, um, National Weather Service saying uh, heavy rain and, and uh, severe storms expected through Friday. So that'll be awesome. Yeah. Well, that's kind of typical for that area, isn't it, though? Uh, well, you know, they say it's not, but I'm, I've I've been charting this. It is. Every, I've been here um, a year and 12 days now. And... In that time, it has not gone more than seven days without raining. It has rained at least once in every seven-day period. Huh. That's interesting. Well, when we, when we were in college, there was a period like that here where it hadn't done that, and it was like a solid year. Yeah, and they say, you know, that's not normal. Every time I point that out, oh, we usually don't get that much rain. I'm looking at 300-foot pine trees around me. Really? You don't get rain? I think... <laughs> I think maybe you just haven't been keeping track of it. A guy from Texas who sees rain for three months out of the year and then not for another nine months. I notice it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, wow. I just, I'm in weird um, tangent mode today. So what are your plans for Independence Day, Christopher? Oh, this is one of my favorite holidays. I am one of those pyromaniacs that this is my holiday, and I go burn and explode and and make things go kabooey for as many days in a row as I financially can afford to do such things. So, uh, yeah, it it should be fun. We we uh, my neighbor. I would say it's my neighbor, but he's like five houses away from here. 
uh, we go, we usually have a barbecue together. And then because he does his own reloads for ammo, he's got tons of black powder and <laughs> home builds some stuff. And then, Goes out and spends a few uh, hundred dollars in fireworks, too. So, yeah, we'll be blowing lots of stuff up. Oh, those are fun guys. You want them around for Independence Day and for the zombie apocalypse. Those are the guys That's right. that you want around during those two events. And I, unless something changes, that's definitely a good reason to have them around. <laughs> and, yeah, and, so if you see and, uh, Brad Pitt running around, you know, Look them up. <laughs> there you go. But you know the it's it's nice though too because we even though he's not a techie like we are, he's kind of uh, he's still in the geek gene pool. He 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 plays D and D and Magic the Gathering and stuff like that. So it should be a great fun time. Last year we did uh, a couple of campaigns of Dead Rain, which is a zombie apocalypse game, and then we went out and blew stuff up with fireworks. So it was kind of fun. So, yeah, I, I used to know a, a guy um, in college who was that kind of guy. And um, th- I can't tell you all the stories because some of them are classified <laughs> to keep people out of jail. Uh, <laughs> but it's fun to have a guy around who knows how to make uh, explosives. It's always fun to have guys like that around anytime. Man, whenever uh, I was a kid, we uh, had a bottle rocket war on the road in front of our house. There's a couple of little hills, and uh, I was on one side, and some of my brothers were on the other, and we were shooting bottle rockets across at each other. And they started on the outside and worked their way in, and I got caught in the (laughs) middle, and I took like three right in the (laughs) chest. So, uh, But, man, it was fun. I had a lot of fun growing up before... uh, before bottle rockets were illegal in Texas. In this day and age uh, where everything is da- that is dangerous is outlawed, that story just made some lawyer somewhere salivate. He's he's going to call you and say, "Can I, I can help you sue your brothers for for possible injury and 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 post traumatic stress and trauma?" Um. <laughs> no, oh man, fireworks! I loved them so much when I was a kid. Oh, we had this. Um, I know we're off on another tangent, but we had this metal... That's the whole show. Um, it's an everyday tangent. That's We had this aluminum box that was about 18 inches wide and about three foot long and about three foot deep. And we put it... We have a huge bay window in front of the living room, and we put that right up next to the window, and we got a 500-pack of uh, Black Cat Firecrackers. This is, and they were five, it was one thing instead of like individual packs of a hundred and we lit it and threw it in there and it amplified and people came running out of the house. Oh, of course the bad thing was 500 firecrackers went off in like five seconds, but just to see people freaked and running out of the house was, I I will always remember that. That is just an awesome memory. Okay. Here's one, one stupid firecracker story. You know, those, the black cats that come in the strings of a hundred. Uh, and and they have right. the string wrapped around them that tie them up. Um, my brother, uh, we were, I'm going to say he was 10, 11 at the time. He had the, the idea because we the sometimes the strings are hard to get off and you you can pull the free fuse right out. Um, he said, "Well, how about if we just burn that string off? Then it won't be a problem." And I, <laughs> I being three years his junior, kind of went, 
I'm not sure that's a good idea, but you're my big brother, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back your play. So he lit that string in the middle, and they started exploding. And all he was thinking was like, you know, we had the a, a, a X amount of money to spend, and he had spent them, and he was watching his fireworks go up in seconds. So he was trying to come up with creative ways to put these things out without ruining. He was literally stomping on them he was standing on them while they were exploding under his foot which of course hurt so then he would hop up and go oh, oh and then step on down with the other foot because maybe it wouldn't hurt the other foot uh, <laughs> it was it was about 45 seconds of pure comedy gold um and when it was all said and done he'd managed to salvage about five of them and that was it that was his day of fireworks it was gone in like 40 seconds of panic and that was it <laughs> See, a hundred a hundred pack of firecrackers is nothing anymore. Um, I was just over at his house this morning, and he show, his son comes up to me and goes, "Look what we found! A two thousand count pack that's all stringed up. You tie it to a tree and you let it go, and it'll be interesting to see how long we get two thousand firecrackers to go off." Oh, that's get a big metal box and put them in there. And no, it, sound, it sounded like an M50. The last time we did that, we had the police come to our house. I don't think that's a good idea. And of course, I won't. I oh, won't well, say that I ever did it, but I I remember vaguely being in the general vicinity of people who found small animals and and taped firecrackers to them. Um, oh, uh, that's bad. Uh, cicadas that are you know in Texas is when they come out. Those are fun because they go, and that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and they go splat. Uh, <laughs> you remember those uh, Texas tornadoes that would run along the ground and stuff? Those are fun when you have cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's enough of that. So Independence Day is, in fact, the uh, holiday set aside for rednecks to blow themselves up. We should call it Darwin Day because uh, that's, <laughs> that's really what it is. Uh, I have been very fortunate that uh, even though a number of fireworks have blown up in my hand, I've I've never been hurt. Um, yeah, it's also the uh, day when a MacBook computer saves all mankind. Yes, so, yes. Uh, in fact, I yeah. I watched that movie just today, and uh, you know it still stands up. It's just as bad today as it was in 1996. It it really <laughs> hasn't lost anything. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> the effects are uh, you know yeah. they're, they're now you can look at them and go, Ooh, that's a green screen right there. Uh, <laughs> it's not because their effects were terrible it's just we've gotten better at seeing these things right okay uh, it's almost sad how that works isn't it yeah yeah we get harder to fool every year and uh and special effects people keep trying to figure it out and and try to make it try to fool us but we get we, it gets more difficult every year because part of the problem is like magicians they they can't they can't keep their their secrets because there'll be a behind the scenes where they show, all right, here's how we did this shot. And so now next time you see a shot like that, you're going, oh, yeah, I know how they did that. So they're, yep. you know, it's ruining it. Well, and I think also yeah, that- it's like those old James Bond movies. Go ahead, Seth. Where, they, where, where they're being chased in the car and you're like looking through <laughs> right. the back yeah. screen. Oh my gosh. Oh. Uh, Chris, I was going to say, I, I think there's a there's also a point where our eyes are getting more adapt to finding right. those green screen moments out because not just because we've seen those behind the screens moments, but just in because things don't look natural. Right. I still to this day have never seen 
a movie in which I could not spot a, a fully digital actor. Um, you know, if they have a scene uh, where there's no humans and there's no models, it's all digital. That sticks out to me every time. Um, uh, Spider Man, the 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 first one with Tobey Maguire was one of the first movies I ever saw do that. They did it heavily in the Matrix, the second and third Matrix. Um, and it just sticks out to me every time. And they're getting better at it. I go, oh, that's a nice-looking digital model. But I still, <laughs> it, it never looks right. The physics, the way they move, the way the light bounces off of them, it still looks fake. Uh, and they just haven't come close yet. Anyway. Yeah, not with people. Not, not yet. yet. They're getting there. Um, and, you know, yeah. things like... like <laughs> I, 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 we're going down that we were saying before we started the show we, we need to have a movie podcast where we can talk about this stuff because we keep getting more into this but a movie like uh, Avatar I think that's why James Cameron made the um, directorial and editorial decision to have the entire movie take place in the foreign land because there you don't know what's fake because it's all fake right. so nothing you know right. nothing stands out more than anything else um, it's when you try to take something that, that looks real, that is real in, and put something into it that's fake and try to blend that, that, that is difficult. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe we will have a movie podcast coming soon. We'll see about that. But for now, I need to call upon our audience for help. Um, as I've mentioned before, oh, by the way, uh, well, I'll get there. As I've mentioned before, I've, I've got this coffee project that I'm working on, trying to figure out. Um, how to, to make the best coffee in the world. Uh, and because of badgering from this audience, primarily, I have started to document that at a website I set up, crazycoffee.us. So uh, go check it out. There's not much there right now, but I have begun the process of, uh, of documenting what I've done. So uh, you can check that out. But uh, the, 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 the puzzle with which I am currently wrestling I think somebody in this audience may be able to help me out. So I've got super fine ground coffee beans and water, and I want to leave the coffee behind and get the water. How do you do that? Well, the simple way is to pour it through a filter, uh, you know, a piece of paper or a screen or something. But because the, gr the grounds are so super fine, they, uh, they clog the filter. And I know, I mean, this is the sort of stuff that chemists do all the time. So surely there's somebody out there in the audience that can can help me out. So what is something I can use? Some sort of maybe multi-layer something. I've tried different types of paper. I've tried different layers of. I've tried screen uh, wire mesh. I've tried screens. It all it you know some things buy me more time. But in the end, the bottom layer gets clogged with this fine dust, and the extraction drops down from one you know to to one or two drops at a, a, a every few seconds. Um. Somebody in the in the chat room says uh, uh, I could boil it and capture it as, as condensation. Well, see, there's part of the problem. I can't do heat. It's got to be a cold process, uh, and and I can't put anything into it that's not that would alter the flavor, right? I, there there are all kinds. You could do activated charcoal and and floss. There's all kinds of ways to do that, but those would all take out the stuff I don't want to take out. I just want to separate solid from liquid without changing the properties of the liquid. So uh, if anybody out there has any has any uh, suggestions, let me know. Chris, you're gonna you're gonna skip that that one you put in there. Uh, if you, I don't care, we can. Okay, we'll skip it. 
Uh, so there we go. That's uh, that's the the puzzle that I put to the audience, and maybe somebody out there uh, has a, select, a solution. Also, the other puzzle was how to get my motion sensor light to stop going off, and I keep having to wait. That's why I bumped the mic just a minute ago because I was trying to get my light to come back on. Uh, okay, on to the tech news of the week. Goodbye, uh, Vera, whatever that is. That's you, Seth. Avira is oh, a... Oh, we lost Seth. <laughs> I, I think Seth is broken, so I'll take it up. Uh, Avira is a antivirus client for... Uh, it, it comes out with many flavors for Windows or Linux, um, but they're discontinuing their antivirus solution for Win- for Linux and si- for Linux systems as of June 30th. Uh, which is kind of sad. They were one. Uh, they were one of the very first antivirus companies that I've ever trusted, and to see that they're discontinuing a Linux product makes me kind of sad. So um, goodbye, Edvira. It was nice to know you. So have the? Do they have an explanation of why they're getting rid? I suspect because nobody needs an antivirus on Linux, and that's why they're stopping. Well, they focus on the uh, like small and micro business, and overwhelmingly that is Windows and Mac. So yeah, it's a business decision. They just they don't have the revenue and presence there to justify continued development. They will continue um, updates on their current products through 2016. So they're not just saying bye bye. They're at least giving you know time to find an alternative. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that an alternative is needed. That that's something that we go back and forth about. Most antivirus. Anti- Let me. Slow down and say it again. Most Linux antivirus product, products are sniffers for Windows viruses that might come into through a Linux gateway. Um, yeah, there's just not there's just well, no market for a Linux antivirus because there's no significant Linux virus yet. Well, it's true, but with more blended threats and web-based things, you know, has you more has applications become more web centric, you know, you, and it really, if you're just going after Firefox, you don't really need to worry about the underlying OS. If you want to infect the, uh, browser. Yeah. Okay. So that would be an argument for some type of antivirus, regardless of your computing. I platform. think we're m- more and more moving away from, uh, hardware uh, how am i going to say this from desktop software and moving to where the cloud is the software so i think i think right. people are going to start writing cloud uh, writing viruses for html5 and so the virus will exist wholly in the cloud as will the application it's a runtime thing uh, and that'll yep. be interesting to see you know what happens there maybe jeff goldblum could write that <laughs> yeah I, I am sad, though, to see a virus leave this market because it, they are a good detecting system. And it, I know of a couple products that use their definitions as their yeah. gateway scans. So it's sad to see this go. Um, I hope something comes up to replace it for on the gateway level because Clam on its own just isn't enough. That's true. right. And in our next story, one of Seth's pet uh, operating systems, Tizen... Uh, finally gets at least somebody who cares about it. Right. There is, um, 
it's an announced device, and it's pretty cool. This is actually the first Tizen tablet that has been officially announced, and the specs on it, I mean, pretty neat. You got like a quad-core processor, two gigs of RAM, 32 gig flash. Uh, anyway, really cool that, um, you know, it's not just one of those, hey, we've got this operating system if anybody wants to <laughs> use it. Uh, somebody actually said, hey, let's use that, and um, it's not due out till the fall. But it has been announced, and it's in Japan. So, you know, I'm, of course, I'm sure, you know, if you got money, you can buy anything, legal or not. But uh, it's, like, aimed at Japan, at least to start with. Um, and then they are also going to be coming out with handsets as well. So, um, you know, I know we didn't really have any choices. You only had Android, iOS, BlackBerry, um, Windows Mobile Firefox. 7, Windows Mobile 8, uh, Nokia, Symbian. You know, it's nice that we're finally getting some uh, getting choice the market. in the handset market. <laughs> oh, that was nice. Um, Munich, who has turned up um, a number of times on this show, is that being very open source friendly, um, is being not only open source friendly, but closed source angry. Right. Um, and this is uh, next year, the Munich City Council plans to distribute 2,000 copies of Lubuntu to local residents who still own computers running Windows XP. So um, they chose um, Lubuntu because it doesn't require huge hardware. It should run fine on a system that already has XP. And they are putting the spin on it. We don't want all of the electronics waste going in landfills and recycling. So this way you can keep your old system and get a modern OS um, because, you know, support for XP is ending next year. Um, and just when you run older softwares, you're opening, you're open to a lot of security holes because the modern attack methods weren't around to even know to be blocked um, on software back then. So, you know, it's one of those things. Um, you know, Munich began the process of about 10 years ago of migrating to Linux, and now they're like going to be distributing. So it's not one of those, hey, everybody, think about moving to Linux. It's like, here is this CD, install it, and get a new OS. So they're actually, I mean, you know, there's nothing in here about, you know, move to Linux or we'll kill you or anything like that. But, uh, you know, Yet. they're putting some. You know, it's gone from beyond talk to actually they're putting some action behind it. Kind of cool, I think. Well, it's, you know, if you're still using XP right now, you're either an unsophisticated user or very likely using an illegal product. Um, otherwise, or both. you know, yeah, or both. Uh, otherwise, you probably would have updated. I, I uh, you know, Windows 7 has been around a long time now. Anybody who's bought a machine in the last four years really is, has had windows 7 on it now the a few sophisticated people will have taken that off and put xp on it because that's what they prefer but i think you know they the what they're going for here is to make their public safer really because you've got a product that's um nearing its end of life uh support uh and it's still pretty prevalent and they're they're saying hey if you're going to use that old hardware let's use it with something that's at least being updated that's that's my take on it. Yeah, that's yeah how well, I would and, you know, too. you think about it. A lot of times, it you know, people will buy a new computer, and their old computer will become like a second computer in the house, or maybe you know, a computer for their kids to do homework on, or something like that. 
Um, so it's it might not be the fact that people haven't moved on, but they've moved on, but they still have their XP computer uh, in use in right. their house. Yeah, and, and as the chat room is saying, and, and as I pointed out earlier, lots of geeks are still using XP, uh, but they're they're going to be the the small subset of the market. Uh, the, the most yeah. people out there still using XP are doing it because they're trapped in it. Yeah, yeah, and a, and most geeks who use XP are aware of the security risk and take other steps to mitigate those. So it, it's the end user who just says, "I got this computer ten years ago and it still works, dadgummit. Why change?" Right. That um. Oh yeah, this computer came with antivirus software five years ago. Well, did you ever update update it? Why would I need to update it? It's on there. Uh, so uh, very prevalent with with all the uh, products out there now, uh, like the Ouya that we've mentioned before, uh, that are Android based gaming console. Why on earth would Google decide they want to build their own Android based gaming console? I have a theory on all right. This. You know, they're announcing the the uh, stores in India, so they just need a better product line for their store. So they thought, hey, why don't we do a console? And I just thought it was neat that it was mentioned in the same story that talked about the wristwatch. Yeah. So maybe there will be exclusive content for the Google Watch and the uh, Google Glasses with the Google Gaming console. I think that would be pretty neat. I think the most telling sentence in this arg- article is, a Google spokeswoman declined to comment. So there's this, there's this. Uh, if you were to type it out, probably seven pages, and one of the lines in there that you're that is just sort of quickly glossed over is nobody at Google's actually said any of this. This is all yes, unnamed sources on the internet, right. and if you can't trust unnamed sources on the internet, I mean, really, who can? You According believe? to Wikipedia, Google is building <laughs> uh, a handset or a gaming <laughs> set. Right. Yeah. But anyway, I just thought, you know, I mean, because the Ouya, it's available to the general public now, so there's lots of press coverage about Android consoles. Um, so, you know, maybe Google just said, hey, let's get our name attached to it as well. So, All right. And just so you don't think I always diss the guy, Richard Stallman has been inducted into the Internet Hall of Fame, and I think he totally deserves it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll second that. Yeah, I, uh, I I know Mark. He is one of your favorite people all time, and so I put this story in there just for you. But yeah, he uh, he's uh, going to be inducted into the uh, Internet Hall of Fame. And one of his quotes when he was talking about this, he says, Now that we've made the Internet work, the next task is to stop it from being a platform for massive surveillance <laughs> and make it work in a way that respects human rights, including privacy. I so wish that statement could happen, but I really don't think it can. So here's the thing, Stallman. The internet will be used in the way that the people who use it want it to be used. That, you know, that's what your statement was like saying, now that we've got a good hammer, let's make sure that hammer is only ever used to drive nails and that it never breaks a window or uh, hurts anybody. Uh, Sorry, the internet is out there. It's a tool and it's in the hands of people and they're going to use it in good ways and bad ways. Well, and I mean, for the and most people, they talk a good game about wanting privacy, but they don't. They want to play stupid games on Facebook, and as long as they can play their stupid games um, and listen to music, 
and watch movies that may or may not be legal, they don't really care what else comes with that. Um, oh, yeah, I want to be private, but I only want that if I don't have to give up any comforts. So, uh, unfortunately, that's the nature of the Internet beast. There's my railing <laughs> against the machine. Uh, Down with the man. Um, you remember the mint box and how incredibly popular it was? No. No, you don't. Nobody does. Nope. Well, they decided to do it again because the other one was so popular. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's due for an upgrade. You know, while the specs are still good for the original mint box, it is a little long in the tooth. And my biggest thing is, you know, the fact that Linux Mint is free, this machine is expensive, uh, compared to like a windows version of the same thing you know it's one of those kind of like a net top box and you are getting good hardware but it, and you know we've gone into that before that they subsidize windows will subsidize that and then you know there's all the crapware that gets bloatware that gets thrown in to help drive the price down that isn't included on a linux machine but to me i love the concept of the mint box i just i don't like the price point all right. Um, Can't really go any different on that. But we did, you know, we talked a lot about the Mint Box when it first came out. And I remember, Chris, you really were impressed, at least with the idea behind it. And so I was like, you know, want to mention that the Mint Box 2 is coming out as well. It, it, it's a good idea. I, I wanted I to mean, have some Linux news on a Linux <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a good idea. Don't get me wrong. I just think, like you were saying there, Seth, the price point's a little off. If they're trying to get this into people's houses, there it, it needs to come down a little bit more. Yeah, because you could go buy a Windows version of this, at least before you could, uh, a little net top box, and then just put Linux on it and actually probably come out a little cheaper. Yeah, yeah but the, the way they're going to sell that is you get uh, hardware specifically tuned. You, you got tweaks in there for it that this thing works every time. So, you know, I get it. I just don't think there's a market for it. I don't think there's a market for the net top computers anyway. Um, you know, and net books are, are pretty much dead and, and net desktop version things too. I just, it's, it seems like they're putting money and time and effort into a product that will sell 10,000 copies or less. Yeah. I mean, why get this when you can get a Raspberry Pi? Yeah. Well, it's significantly more powerful than a Raspberry Pi, but I guess it, it... But, I mean, really? What are you going to use a net top box for? You're not going to solve the mysteries of right. the universe. You're going to hook it up to a monitor and watch games and get on Facebook. Or put XBMC well, I mean, on it. You do that with Raspberry Pi. Yeah. yeah. You know, or if it's on the internet, of course, you will download porn. <laughs> but you can do that on Raspberry Pis as well. Oh, okay. Um, the yeah. Microsoft... <laughs> is literally giving away the Surface RT. Not figuratively, they're not cheap. They are literally giving them away. They bought, a, a, built a ton of them, and the world didn't care. So they're giving them away to people, and they've just recently announced, hey, if you're a school, we'll give you like a 900% discount. How do you think about that? Well, not quite, but 50%. Well, yeah, uh Two hundred dollars, a hundred one ninety nine is the price point for the Surface RT through schools and uh, or two schools, and 
it's a it's a program that's available through August the 31st of 2013 and it's actually already started at this price I really want one because I would love to you know hack that and throw Android or some Linux distro on it and have a really cool tablet for $200 um so if you want to throw the the I just think, cover onto that it adds uh you know 90 bucks it's 289 and you get their premier right. device for uh, literally less than half, maybe maybe forty three percent of the original price. Right, and you know, I would buy one if 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 there's somebody who works at a college or knows how they can get one at this price, please send this send an email to the show. I want one. Just and it's not so much that I'm a big RT fan. I just want to see how I could modify it and what I could do to it and run a different OS on it because you're really getting decent hardware specs at that price. Um, you know, you could buy a seven inch Google Nexus for $200 or you can get the full size surface RT for $200. Well, get the surface RT and throw something else on it. And like I say, I just, I think it would be cool and I kind of want one. You know what I want? I want leisure suit Larry back. That's what I want. <laughs> That well, was Mark, one of the best you one ever. Are in luck because Laser Shoot Larry, the original one, is being ported to Linux, and it's actually Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded, <laughs> um, thanks to Kickstarter. So, Kickstarter, I love you, man. Um, my exposure to this game is a friend of mine had it whenever we were in, I guess, middle school or maybe very early high school. And he needed my help to answer the questions because, you know, you had to prove your right. age to play this game and you had to answer questions that people our right. age would before know. the Internet, since, before you could just get those right. answers. And my uh, my geek cred and useless trivia knowledge, you know, I, I was popular because I could answer these questions and get them into the game. And then, you know, we would kind of get to play it and, you know. Leisure suit, Larry. It, you would think by the name that it is disgusting and filthy. And you're right, but it's actually, it's actually kind of funny and comical, and it's more innuendo than anything. Well, there were three At levels of gameplay. You could go, you know, uh, clean, kind of dirty, and super dirty. And the super dirty had, you know, pixelated boobs and and testes all over the place. Uh, but <laughs> but the gameplay was in. It was you know it was a um, a zork for the modern age you know and it was it was a text adventure just with funny graphics and it, it was a great sense of humor and i loved the game i played the, i think the first three uh i played uh and just really had a blast with uh, the puzzles like um you're tr you're waiting in line to get something i don't remember what and what there's three lines and what whatever line you get in the other two are moving fast and, and so you try to jump between them and you try to figure it turns out you cannot pick the right line. The solution is you've got a balloon. You blow up the balloon and pop it. It scares everybody and they run away. So it's, you know, it's a game like that with really creative uh, thinking. Um, <laughs> remember a scene where, where you're, uh, you've got a pocket full of, of weed and you find yourself, uh, that's just one of the things that you should have picked up at this point. You find yourself uh, on the, uh, on the wrong side of a, a, a chasm and you got to get over it. And uh, the solution is to weave the, the hemp into a rope and throw it over to the side 
but one but they had animations for everything so like uh, at one point i typed in smoke weed and leisure suit larry smoked the weed and started floating started floating across the cavern and you think perfect he's gonna make it and then the narration says something like of course this is ridiculous and then he falls uh, so, <laughs> just great things like that. Things you don't see anymore in video games. Yeah. So there was there was a, a personality to the Leisure Suit Larry games. At one point, um, you actually meet the writer of the game. He's like a guy at a bar, and you can walk up and talk to him. Um, and hmm. he's like, "Hey, I'm I don't know Bill Smith, and I write video games for a living." And then you ask him, "Go, oh, really? What video games do you like? Maybe a game you've heard of called Leisure Suit Larry." Uh, and then you get like 20 points for having talked to the guy. <laughs> cool. And that was back when 20 points means something. <laughs> and <laughs> that was pre-inflationary now, points. Yeah. Now, turn on the game console. Five million point bonus. <laughs> uh, so you have leveled up. Um, so there's some people saying that netflix is trying to ruin html5 um i don't get it yeah th this is a um you know i'm sure stallman would be, be very happy with this guy but you know um one of the things with if you one of the reasons that netflix hasn't come to linux is the drm that they use through the silverlight platform really doesn't work in linux and so they're trying to get um premium video extensions uh in the html5 um i spec. cannot even think of the word spec and standard yeah to do that and so of course you know and and the this guy's article is uh well premium video extensions is just another name for drm and drm is bad and the world should be free and we should uh all eat lollipops and ride unicorns all day <laughs> um so anyway i don't know the whole article has a fud feel to it but you know, just because it has FUD doesn't mean it's not a relevant question. Of course, he's all, you should cancel Netflix because they're trying to take over the web and get rid of free video everywhere. I don't think it's that bad, but, um, you know, it's one of those, you know, Microsoft and the closed source community, they aren't the only ones who are good at spreading FUD around. So Yeah, and, and just to for my cursory reading of this, um, the idea is not to make it the only way you can do video. There's still WebM built in. There's still the video extension. It's, it's all still there. They just want to say, look, while you're building this spec, while you're creating this, um, this thing that is going to be the future for, for the next several years, let's create something that allows people who want DRM to use it. Frankly, I'm okay with that. They're ju they just want to build in a socket that says encrypted stuff nobody can copy goes here. I'm not bothered by that because there, you know, there there may be valid uses for that. Uh, that's like saying that uh, the SSL spec shouldn't be used because it can only be used for proprietary reasons. So, you know, I'm I'm I know I'm not the uh, the Linux zealot that many who listen to this show are, but I just don't think it's it's much ado about very little. It's not nothing. It's just very little, in my opinion. Right, and I tend to agree with you on that, but um, you know, I came across this the other day, and I wanted to throw it in there. Um, but if you go to the, if you follow the link, you can buy a, a a DRM no one admitted shirt, and you can get all over this and hashtag cancel Netflix and they're evil, they're Satan, and blah blah blah. So you know, it's one of those things. Just as long as it's not the only video standard, 
in HTML5, I don't really have a problem with it. And I don't think it will be the only video standard. Um, <laughs> don't watch the chat room, <laughs> Seth. Just don't watch the chat room. <laughs> <I'm> done. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the next story. This one got me. I'm sorry. That was an easy one. Yeah, it just got him just right. Uh, it, it just I just looked over at just the right time and saw it, and it just busted my train of thought. Sorry. Okay, next story. I call please. that the humor solaplexes. There's this little spot every now and then if you get it just right, a little jab can knock the wind right out of you. So that's what happened. There. Right. So uh, in... Uh, uh, line with the uh, uh, show topic this week, we have a little bit of news about the Linux kernel and how it uh, works with SSDs or how it's built to work with SSDs. Uh, right. Um, sorry, I'm still recovering. Uh, the the uh, actually, I'm pulling up the article because I. I forgot to cue this Cause one you, up Because you device. put it in there last week, and I moved it to this show, and you don't remember what it was. I understand. And by the way, right. when you go to the site, uh, it so, says, hey, we want to give you a cookie. Is that okay? Is it okay if we give you a cookie? The feds in Europe tell us that we have to say we're giving you a cookie. Just, just so you know. By the way, I hate that. Yeah, I hate it too. Right. All right, moving on. I, I have accepted the cookie. Yeah. I'm now reading the article. Yes, um, so the kernel's device mapper now includes a, tash, a cache target called DMCache, and this option enables a drive to be set up as a cache for another storage device. So, example, you could use an SSD drive has cache for a hard drive, and basically it's just that the Linux kernel now acknowledges um, SSD drives Whereas in before it just said, oh, that's a hard drive. And, you know, there are some differences and that can cause some stuff to happen and just kind of mess up things down the road. So I don't want to just read the article, but that's what I would do. And um, but anyway, they are just the S the Linux kernel is being updated with SSD support is probably the best way to say it, and that's in 3.9, which I don't think is officially out yet. But. Well, the the odd numbers are betas, and the even numbers are general release. So 3.9 is a is a beta. Uh, so what started all this, if you're not an, an every-week listener, you don't know this, about three weeks ago, a listener said, hey, what would be the value of, of an SSD on Linux? And we kind of said, you know, we're not... There would be certain values, but we're not sure that it would be a big deal one way or the other. I mean, you'd get the same value on Linux as you would anything else. That's my brief synopsis of our conversation. But what what's interesting about that is the Linux people are making an effort to make there be a difference. They want their distro to run, their operating system to run better with and on SSDs than anybody else. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and we have a lot of... of um, feedback from the listeners and i'm going to start with darren who writes in singing the praises of ssds on linux he says i'm a network engineer overseas with the department of defense i listen to your show via podcast so i'm always an episode or so behind and unfortunately not listening to them live um 
this would be a good one to be in the chat room. I'm just saying. Uh, regarding disk parts, uh, you stated it's not common practice for laptops to come with more than one bay. I disagree with that statement. I travel about 15,000 miles a year, and had a, that had a huge impact on the form factor when I was choosing a laptop to order. Uh, I like and wanted a MacBook. However, I really don't like Mac OS, and using Microsoft was out of the question. So the second best was on Novo, to be exact, the IdeaPad. I removed Windows 8 without ever even booting into it. Installed Mint. I have 8 gigs of RAM and a 124-gig SSD, OS installed and programs only, and a 1-terabyte second hard drive with two 500-gig partitions. Partition 1 has my home folder, movies, music, documents, downloaded programs, and miscellaneous BS. Partition 2 has ISO images for operating systems like Cisco IOSs, data, network datagrams, virtual box images, project labs, etc. I have close to 20 virtual machines, which I use all the time, and of course not all at the same time. I have, however, successfully loaded 6 Cisco routers and 8 virtual machines before I started running into speed degradation. Well, enough wow. about me going on and on about my machine. In my opinion, go SSD with two internal drives on your laptop, if you can afford it. If not, at least one, although I have only one SSD at this time. Life expectancy performance and shock resistance is much greater with SSDs than it is with mechanical drives. And it gives a link to reference to that. Um, it says, please, be, uh, please keep up the good work uh, with your show. I love listening to it all the time. I'm a huge fan of uh, both Montana and Texas, and I have family in both places, Billings and Houston. Finally, thank you for porting me toward the Linux Academy. I've been writing emails back and forth with them for more than a week, and will be taking the full uh, Academy starting August. I'll be traveling all through July, otherwise I would have started it sooner than this. You mentioned in your show that the Academy prevents the paper tiger, and finally somebody openly admits this. I've run into so many paper tigers in this line of work, it would make your head spin. You'd be amazed at how many uh, written CCIEs uh, I know that can't even plug in a router. I'm out. Keep up the good work and go Linux. <laughs> That's a long one. That was a long one. So I, I, I'm going to say that we didn't say... You couldn't get a laptop with two bays. I said it's not common. Um, and in fact, the laptop I'm using right now, the Asus, if you pop the keyboard off and slide open a tree and, and pull th something apart, there is a second bay in there. But it's not really user accessible. you got to be a geek to get to that. And it's uncommon to find a laptop with two easy user accessible drive bays. One is going to be like right under the battery. You pop the screw out and it comes out. The other one, if it's in there, is going to be designed to be accessed by a pro. So that that was yep. my point initially. You can certainly unless they're the big like seventeen inch desktop replacement, then they're usually both on the bottom and are easily accessible. Right. Uh, so more about SSDs. Um, I'm sorry, brother. I tried. I even I even went to the web and tried to find somebody pronouncing your name, but I got nothing. Uh, a fellow from the Netherlands, I'm going to go with Mateen, spelled M-A-T-H-I-J-N. That combination of letters doesn't happen in English, so I have no context <laughs> with how to pronounce it. <laughs> he offers a resource. He says, hello, Chris, Seth, and Mark. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. I'm looking forward to each new episode. 
Today I was listening to episode 99 and you were talking about SSD on Linux. I remembered an episode of the Going Linux podcast done by Larry Bushy, episode 195. He was mentioning some tweaks for setting up a system and providing some links. I don't know much about the hardware, nor am I sysadmin, but uh, maybe it's useful information or it might enlighten me as to why it's not all that useful for you. Uh, good luck with episode 100. Looking forward the main reason I wanted to write. Greetings from the Netherlands. I'm going to go with Matt. <laughs> he says, sorry for my clunking ride, clunky writing. I'm not used to writing in English. Well, I promise you, your English is better than my Dutch. <laughs> he definitely. Yes. Um, all right. I'm going to go. Uh, there's really nothing to comment on there uh, other than to say that the Going Linux podcast was recommended by a few different people. I don't think I have all of them in the show. I have a couple of them, but yeah, uh, Going Linux episode 195 apparently did a great job of breaking down the whole SSD thing. Uh, John shares his experiences with Linux on an SSD. He says, hello all. I had Ubuntu with Unity, Chris's favorite, running from an SSD uh, drive, and it was great. Unity was great, Chris. Um, no, And to save not. the SSD, I put var and temp on a spinning drive. So that's all he has to say. And then Dowdle, our friend, chimes in about also with Going Linux. He says, greeting. I noted the discussion you guys had on SSDs and Linux in the current number 99 episode. I haven't used them myself, but the Going Linux podcast guys have covered it quite well. Uh, here's their article, and he provides a link for it. Um, it says, I haven't read the article, but I did listen to the episode, and they talked uh, about it. If you want to know more, you might want to hunt down the episode they did to augment it. Uh, talk to you later. Your buddy, Scott. So. Yeah, Scott, we prefer to make up our own stuff <laughs> rather than listen to, <laughs> listen to what other people have to say about a topic. It's much more fun that way. I'll have you know, I did almost six full minutes of research for this show, Seth. I take offense to that. Six? Oh, my God. Wow. like a PhD compared almost. to mine. Almost. <laughs> not quite. Let's not get carried away. Uh, and finally, Matt, M-A-T-T this time, <laughs> shares his experiences. He says, in, in episode 99, it was mentioned that you can only have one hard drive in a laptop. If you can get an H, uh, HDD caddy, uh, <laughs> I love this, he links, link, go to elementop.com slash Amazon and search for HDD caddy, and you can re replace the CD drive for around $10 US. If you've got a CD drive, you're probably dealing with a 1970s era laptop. I think you probably meant DVD drive. But anyway, uh, I use two hard drives in my laptop. My main OS, Windows 7, required by work, is on a 60 gig SSD I purchased almost four years ago. No problems yet, knock on wood. And the CD drive was replaced by the original 320 gigabyte hard drive. I stored just my main OS and most programs on the SSD and all my user data, VMs, etc., on the hard drive. With the host OS on the SSD and uh, after adding an excessive amount of RAM, 16 gigs, I've noticed no slowdowns uh, even while running three VMs at once. I started listening to EDL about two months ago and I look forward to every week. It's become a staple of my podcast lineup. Great. Keep up the great work. Matt from Rancho Cucamonga, California. I just love that name. Cucamonga. The best name of any city in the world. <laughs> Rancho Cucamonga, California. Uh, 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah, you're not going to have many troubles with uh, with anything with 16 gigs. But that's not even excessive anymore. It used to be. It's not anymore. Yeah. I remember when I bought uh, two four megabyte sticks of RAM for $500. I had eight 
megs of RAM in my 386 SX with a math coprocessor added to it. I Whoa. was Mac Daddy. I remember when RAM prices fell to a dollar a megabyte. Yeah, that's unreal. And how cheap that was. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're a dollar a meg. Wow, you can get an eight meg chip for eight bucks? That's amazing. That's beyond amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and as our first listener pointed out, I would like to point your attention to the Linux Academy. They're back with us again for the month of July. Uh, and uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, but they do have some new information after uh, a bunch of people have asked about it. Anthony put up uh, a, uh, a section uh, for a referral link, you can now go to their website, uh, everyday, uh, linuxacademy.com, and put in the user code EverydayLinux, all one word, lowercase. And that will let them know that we sent you there. So awesome. Thanks for that. Um, they have done, undergone a complete redesign of the course browser to make it simpler and more t intuitive and make it work better on your mobile devices. And, of course, if you don't know by now, the Linux Academy offers step-by-step -step video courses. Uh, and the idea is to take you from a beginner to a certified Linux server professional. You get your own uh, Linux lab server hosted in the cloud on Amazon services. You can run up to eight different distributions. You get PDF study guides and reference sheets, uh, over 100 training videos. And if you don't want to do all that stuff online, they'll send you a DVD for a small fee, of course, for offline viewing. Um, how much would you pay for this? Seth, how much would you pay? Don't answer that. I'll tell you, $19 a month. That's all it is. Not even 20 they knocked a buck off just to be good. 19 bucks a month, or if you want to buy three months in a row, in the business world we call that a quarter, you can do it for $38. Basically, buy two months, get one free. What's better than that? I'll tell you what's better than that. The first seven days are free. So you can get in there, try it out, poke around, and uh, see if you like it. And after seven days, if you cancel your account, uh, they won't charge you a thing. Won't cost you a penny. Uh, they've also added brand new quizzes. Uh, we uh, talked about that last month that they were going to add it. They have done that. They are live, and they've added a new browsing experience called a lesson browser. So instead of doing a topic and say, I'm going to study this, you can pick your lessons one by one a la carte, and it will track your progress in each one. So you no longer have to take the course in um whatever, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, uh, but you can pick the lesson from within the course and the system will track it and say, this is the one you've taken and you have to, haven't taken this one. You have to, So you can uh, put together the learning on your style in your uh, own time. An amazing service for a mere pittance. Check them out, linuxacademy.com. Very nice. Yes, it's cool. one of those places that we all agree on that this is one of the best things you can do for the money. Yes. Very hearty amen. Wise one in the chat room says that their prices are too low. And he would recommend 25 bucks a month or 50 for three months. So you see, that, that's what we told Anthony when he's here. He said, dude, your prices are too low. People aren't going to take you seriously. And I'm guessing that uh, Wise one has used it and likes their services and says he would even pay more. So that's awesome. Awesome sauce. <laughs> cool. Uh, so we're glad to have them around for the month of July and happy to uh, um, refer you over there. Go check them out and use the referral code Everyday Linux when you sign up. It won't save yep. you any money. Invite your it'll let you know let them know where they where you had heard about it. And uh, you know, send your friends. Tell them the same code. You know, the more people that sign up under that 
code makes them happier with us. So invite your friends, invite your students and co-students and co-teachers or whatever. Anthony, I, I know you listen to the show. I'm going to make a suggestion to you. Maybe for the month of August, you don't want to do this all the time, but for one month, for the month of August, have a, a special referral code that gives everybody a free month who refers somebody. So if I send somebody there and give them that referral code that, that you could generate unique to me, um, sort of like Dropbox does, I'd get a free month and maybe the, the new person gets a, uh, a free month or something like that. Just a suggestion. You know, we're trying to give away your product for free that you're trying to sell to make money off of. I don't see why there's a, a problem here. <laughs> right. Uh, but no, the seven days free is, is great because there's, it's literally no risk. You, you, get a, you, you download what you want, you look at it, you try it. If you don't like it, you move on. No harm, no foul. But I haven't found anybody who's dropped off after the first seven days. I haven't found anybody who stopped after the first month because the stuff there is good and they're constantly adding to it. <laughs> Wise one of the chat yeah. rooms says, tell him that if you get 10 referrals from EDL, then Chris will use Gentoo for three months. <laughs> Wise one, I hate you. <laughs> oh, people like uh, speaking for you and saying what you will do. I know. What's up with that? I think we should make Mark do it uh, Linux from scratch for three months then. Uh, well, you know, uh, moving right along. So, uh, <laughs> SSDs. In case you didn't know, SSD stands for Solid State Drive. They're not new to you. They've been around for a long time. Uh, in your camera, you've probably got an SSD card. In your phone, you've probably got an SSD card. Uh, if you've got a USB stick, that's technically an SSD card, but what makes these things special is uh, they can be designed to act like actual hard drives. Your machine sees them like a hard drive doesn't know the difference. So that SD card that you have in your phone, you pop that into the slot on your laptop, uh, that's going to interface it in a different way. It's going to present it to you as a drive, but the system doesn't see it as a hard drive. But a true SSD, the system doesn't know the difference. So why would you want to do that? They're freaking fast. It's RAM. It really is. It's accessing. It's slightly slower than the RAM in your machine, but it's accessing things really quickly. So let's let's talk a little bit about the physics and the makeup of a hard drive. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna get geeky. A hard drive is a spinning disc, just like a record player. Okay, nobody listening to this audience knows what a record player is. Go Google record player, uh, <laughs> and you'll see. Uh, remember Happy Days? No, you don't remember that either. So a record <laughs> a hard drive is a spinning disc with a, a read arm that spins across it. Um, so if you are, let's, I'm going to number them and say you're at point number one, and you want data at point number 59, that just before point number one, okay? <laughs> the only way to get that is to have the whole thing spin all the way back around, I didn't explain that very well. Say you're at point number 10 and you want to get data at point number nine. That's a better way to say it. You've got to let the drive spin all the way around so that you can get to it. That's called uh, the um, the seek time. Also, the, the arm has to move across the disk. So if you're right there in the middle, that's where you're reading now. And then you need to read something across the, the outside. The arm's got to move. So hard drives have uh, an average seek time. This is this how long it takes us to physically get from one section of data to another. And on average, a consumer-grade hard drive is like 13 milliseconds or something like that. You'd say, well, that's nothing, 13 milliseconds. Well, 13 milliseconds every time you access data adds up. 
and drive manufacturers uh, sought to uh, alleviate that by doing what's called interleaving. They put the data on the drive in such a way that you're most likely to hit it when you need to. It's, it's fancy math from smart people. But still, it's a physical thing. An SSD. Can you say algorithm, boys and girls? <laughs> Good. I knew you could. An SSD is just a chunk of RAM. You can get to any bit at any time. It's called random access memory, RAM. So if I'm at point one and I want to go to point two or point 21, it doesn't matter. I just I just go there. There's no arm that has to travel. There's no disk that has to spin. So you cut out that 13 milliseconds and you add up the 13 milliseconds and things get really, really fast. So that's why you would want to do that. Also, with a with a spinning disk, it's a magnetic medium. Your computer, your the the card reader, the thing that's pulling the data, isn't magnetic. It's electronic. So there's a conversion that has to take place from electronic to to uh, to magnetic and back. That takes time. Again, you're talking about about microseconds there, but you cut all of that out when you go to an SSD, and it's just it's an electron reading an electron, and it's super fast. So did that give you a pretty good... Did I do okay with that, guys? Giving you why you might want an SSD? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you yeah, w- boiled it down pretty well. Thanks. And the one thing that I would just say is, you know, you talk about that seek time. Whenever you're accessing one document, that document could be spread over the hard drive, and you could have experience that seek time a dozen times or more oh, 10, times in the process. Easily. Yeah. And so, you know, you might think, well, it's only five milliseconds, but five milliseconds times a thousand for every time you access a document, then you're beginning to notice lag. So, you know, I would just emphasize that that isn't just one time when you use something, but it, it could be, you know, now granted, if you keep your hard drive clean and everything in nice, uh, done, you, you know, there are ways you can limit the seek, the number of seeks that are done, but most people don't do that. And right. so that seek time compounds uh, very quickly. If you've ever defragmented a hard drive, run defrag on it, it takes all the pieces and as much as possible aligns them so that they're right next to each other so that you can read bit one, bit two, bit three, bit four, bit five, all in order as much as it can. But it can never be perfect. You can never have a perfectly defragmented drive. So there's always going to be some seek time involved defragmenting an SSD is pointless because it doesn't matter where it is. You can get to it immediately at any point. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that there are two different types of, of uh, SSDs and feel free to chime in here anytime guys. Um, Sure. You've got your, your single level cells, SLCs. They are the simplest, um, most um, reliable, fastest, and most expensive. And that is you've got one uh, section of the drive called a cell, and that cell either has a charge or doesn't. That's it. It's a one or a zero. Everything that a computer does is ones or zeros eventually. So it looks at that cell and goes, charge, one. No charge, zero. That's all there is to it. So in order to do that, if you want to have uh, a one terabyte drive, you have to have one trillion of those cells that either have a charge or not. And uh, they're incredibly reliable and they're fast, but they're expensive because there's quote-unquote waste there. What you're more likely to see is an MLC, a multi-level cell drive. So here's how that works. All right, I've got a cell here, and I can either put a charge in it, yes or no, or I can vary the charge. 
So I can say if it's got three volts in it, that's one value. If it's got five volts in it, that's another value. If it's got negative three volts in it, that's another value. If it's got negative five volts in it, that's another value. Plus zero, not having any charge in it, that's another. So I can get five data points off of one cell. Five bits of data or uh, off of that one cell or potentially five bits of data. So I, for, on a multi-level cell, I can do five to one. I can use a fifth, 20% as many cells, which makes the thing cheaper. And the thing is, it, it gets a little fuzzy. You got to do some fuzzy math there because uh, it gets harder as you use the drive more to actually get exactly three volts or exactly five volts. So the math kind of says something like that. If it's more than zero, but less than three and a half, we're going to call it three. If it's more than three and a half, but less than six, we're going to call it five. And so then you've got some smarts that have to go into the machine to sort of do the fuzzy math there which makes the drive a little slower. You're not, it's not slower accessing it, but it's slower interpolating it. Uh, MLCs are the what you're most likely going to buy. Unless you specifically say, I want an SLC, I want a single-level cell drive, you're not going to get it. Uh, they're, they cost three to five times as much because, like I said, they may have up to five times as many cells in them. Um, and they tend to be reserved for enterprise use only. Uh, so what you're likely going to deal with is a multi-level cell. So why does that matter? Sounds like a good idea, right? Well, here's the thing. And I, I tried, I, I, I struggled to try to come up with a good analogy for explaining this, and I think I finally hit on it. And what I've never heard anybody say, but I'm proud of it. So if I'm wrong, just tell me it was good anyway. Think. So breaking analogy, people, debuted worldwide <laughs> EDL episode 101, lay it down on us. Mark! So right think of now. a cell and an SSD, particularly a, a, a multi-level uh, cell SSD, like a balloon. And this is not the cell from Dragon Ball Z, the anime series. Uh, no. It's totally no. different. Okay. Just wanted to mention that. Think of a cell like a balloon. You ever blown up a balloon? Sure you have. Everybody has. The first time you blow up a balloon, it hurts. You got to put a lot of pressure into it. It makes your jaws right at the back hurt because of the back pressure. And then finally you're blowing and you make the funny face and the sound and then it blows up. Okay. Then you let the air out of it and you blow it up again. Is it as hard? No, it's easier. Nope. Why? The latex stretched. Okay. So you do that again. You blow it up. This time it's easier. But for the same amount of air you put into it, the balloon doesn't get the same size because the latex is, is now more forgiving. Okay? You keep doing that. The latex stretches more. So I've, I've put the same one lung full of air into it, but now it's not quite as big as it used to be. That's why cells get hard to measure. So let's say you're measuring the circumference of the balloon to figure out how much air is in it. Well, the circumference changes every time you blow the balloon up, just a little, but it does. Every time you blow the balloon up and let the air out, the, you physically change the latex. And the balloon size is never the same, even if you're putting exactly the same amount of air in it. Same thing happens in a cell. The way you put air, so to speak, into a cell is it's a resistive material. It's a, it's a mostly resistive, not fully resistive. Um, everything in a, a computer is, is, is based on a semiconductor, something that can be a conductor or a resistor, depending on how it's treated. Uh, uh, SSDs are kind of the same way. So you, you basically bombard it with energy. 
like blowing up that balloon for the first time. And then it expands and it holds that charge, just like the balloon captures the air and it holds it there. So now you've got a charge in it and it's going to be either one or zero, right? It, it, it's easy if you're saying, does this balloon have air in it? Yes or no. Is it bigger than it was when I took it out of the package? Yes or no. So then it become it it doesn't matter so much if it's got the same amount of air if the circumference is the same you're just checking does it have air in it yes or no but when you start saying all right if the balloon is six inches we're going to give that one value the balloon is four inches that's a different value the balloon is 12 inches that's another value when you start doing that and the media changes on you it gets more difficult and that's where you got to have the fuzzy logic all right so this is clocking in in like 4.3 inches so i'm not really sure if we're going to call that four if we're going to call that six it's it's close to four but it's not really so think of a, an ssd as a balloon and that gives you that explains to it uh, it will give you the explanation of why uh, uh they degrade over time so eventually if you blow up that balloon enough times like you did when you were a kid finally it gets a little pinhole in it and it won't hold any air anymore or worse yet it pops on you and then, then you can't blow up the loom, no matter what you do. That cell is dead. All cells die. Writing is a destructive process in writing to a, an SSD. So, particularly in an MLC, a multi-level uh, cell drive, um, when you're having, when you know that you're going to have this failure, and the math, the fuzzy math gets so fuzzy you can't calculate it, you got to put on extra. So I said, right, that uh, you can get one uh, fifth as many cells on a drive for the same space. Well, not really, because you got to put like half again as many on there so that when one dies, you can swap it out. So then you get the extra cell thing. All, all SSDs have extra cells. Your hard drives do too. When a, when a sector goes bad, it's got this unallocated chunk of space that it can move that data to. And the, and the drives are supposed to be smart enough to figure out when something is about to die. Like, like this, got, this was so hard to read. I'm not sure I'm ever going to be able to read it again. I'm going to mark this sector as bad and move the data somewhere else. Your drives are doing that constantly, all the time. You just don't know it. Right. Even even the round magnetic yes. spinning drives. Yes. Uh, so SLCs do that um, uh, as well, or excuse me, SSDs do that as well. Uh, they have extra sectors out there. So everything has, uh, they call that over-provision. So if you really, really, really want to spend a lot of money to get a little bit of storage, you can get like a 100 gig single-level cell that's 80% over-provisioned. That's Ooh, something expensive. That's going to be super expensive. It's going to last us a long time, um, but it's, it's, that's what people pay for. The average drive, right. manufacturers don't tell you how over-provisioned they are. They don't want you to know that. They like to say, our drives are so good, we don't need to over-provision. Over um, <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> one things one manufacturer one thing that a manufacturer will give you when you ask how long it'll last is they'll give you a mean time before failure. It's a it's an industry standard number that's utterly useless. So here's basically how you capture a mean time before failure. You take a thousand chips, probably a hundred chips, and you run them for a thousand hours. So to do the math, thousand chips, hundred hours, it's a million, right? Did I get my math right? Uh, so, a thousand chips run them for a hundred hours, or a hundred chips run them for a thousand. Or a hundred thousand. Either yeah. way, um, you get uh, you get a million hours. If during that cycle one of those chips fails one time, they'll say you've got a million hour mean time before failure. 
it's not actually useful value at all. Because what does a failure mean? I don't know. It, it could just mean that it's a little glitch in the data and the hard drive writes over it and it moves on. It could mean that it has to use one of those uh, cells that are so dead it's got to use one of the over-provisioned cells. Mean time before fa- failure is a ridiculously useless statistic, but it's the only one that a manufacturer ever gives anybody because they can make it say good. 2.6 million hours mean time before failure. Well, what that means, what they want you to think that means is you can be writing to the drive all day every day for 2.6 million hours which is like 200 years and your drive will never fail well that's stupid if that were true why is the warranty only four years <laughs> um, there you go but the end result is that the market forces have have come together with the manufacturing processes and for the most part you can expect an ssd to last about the same amount of time you'd expect a spinning disk to live three to five years if you get five years, you're, you're doing good. If it goes out in three years, um, you know, you are on the low end of the spectrum. You might get it to last 10 years. It might die in six months. There's always there's almost no way to know. So that And I think, really, once you get past four in the enterprise sector, you know, most enterprises, they have a, a – some of them have three, some of them have five, but most of them are four-year or less, you know, where they will just replace their equipment. So, you know, as long as that thing makes it as long as you plan the useful life of that, who cares how much longer it'll last. Now, SSDs are getting cheaper, but they still cost a lot more than spinning disks. Why? Because oh, yeah. spinning disks have been around 30 years. That's a manufacturing process that has, has been refined. We've got that down. In fact, the, the, the new drives now actually spin the electrons in a perpendicular fashion so that you can stack them on top of each other. They're not laying end to end anymore. They're laying face to back. It's amazing how they do that. Uh, and yeah. you can get uh, a, a four terabyte drive for, what, 100 bucks? Um, uh, you know, it's, 150 last time I looked, I think. Okay, 150. So uh, four terabytes, people, for 150. <laughs> um, and by comparison, uh ssds are a lot more expensive a 250 gig all right so that is um 120th the size of the four terabyte for 189 so it's 20 times more expensive per byte to buy an ssd but they're getting cheaper that price is coming down except for slcs those are still super expensive they're they're enterprise grade um and maybe value viable in servers only um the large drives just aren't economical yet. To, to get a four terabyte SSD, that manufacturing process is is still too expensive, and you would pay a thousand bucks probably for a four terabyte SSD or and, more. Oh no, you would pay well over a thousand. Okay, for a four terabyte, you're talking ten thousand would not be. You wouldn't be getting screwed. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i was i was giving them a little more credit that i haven't i don't even know if you can buy them i don't know if they even exist if anybody's even made that so maybe that's why it would be thirty thousand dollars because they'd have to spin up a factory just to make one for you um no they uh there was a, a discussion at this over in spiceworks this week that i just happened to see and looked at and yes you can get uh three and four terabyte hard drives but they are super super expensive i mean you know, you could buy a server with like 20 gigs of storage, a complete server, or you could buy one hard drive. So, yeah. uh, so uh, why would you buy an SSD over a spinning disk? Well, like I said, um, 
they're a lot faster. But there's more to it than that. If you if you have a truly mobile device, what anybody out there had the original iPod that had a hard drive in it <laughs> knows if you took it for a jog, it skipped on you. They're physical spinning discs, like a record player. Um, and if you drop it, that uh, head that's flying over the disc can drop down and dig into it and physically damage the disc. That's why all your phones now and all those things have let, much less expensive, same basic technology, but uh, much less sophisticated uh, compact flash or SD or, or, or something similar to that in it. Uh, because there's value in having random access. A, it's a lot faster, like we said. B, it's a lot more reliable. Uh, it's harder to break. It really is. Um, and and C, it's just um, a more um, economical process in terms of of battery power and, and energy. That's why your mobile devices have those instead of spinning. You don't have to spin anything. You don't have to have an arm that moves around. So, so where a regular hard drive, I'm going to make these numbers up. Let's say a regular hard drive uses 100 watts. It's nowhere near that, but just to make the math easy. An SSD is going to use like 15 watts. So yep. you can really cut down battery use. Um, on, and again, in mobile devices where people complain about uh, their, hard, their phones not lasting all day, uh, you want to economize everywhere you can. So that's why you see these things popping up in, in uh, like a tough book situation where you really want something. You don't need multi terabytes of data, but the data that's there, you need it every time on time. Uh, SSDs are popping up there. Yep. They're also a lot, a lot less, there's less noise and less heat involved because A, right. there's no spinning of a disc, so there's no seek noise. And then because there's less heat, because there's no friction involved, you and less watts being burned, yet you end up with a cooler environment anyway. That's true, and it's it's cooler as well as being cooler. <laughs> you could say I've got a I've got an SSD, baby. Come over to my house and we'll compare modem speeds. <laughs> and if that works, we want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. Trust me, it's not going to work. Um. So which one is Seth? You put this link in here that's way too long for me to read, so summarize it for me. Uh, well, basically, they were just talking about a kind of a breakthrough in the um, multi-layer thing where they're coming out with new firm firmware and things uh, where MLC Flash has overtaken the more expensive single-level cell, um, but they're using like a firmware and firmware updates and better algorithms so that it lasts longer and I think kind of what they're doing is they're using part of that overbuild that you're talking about. Rather, they're just kind of using it all and kind of rotating which sections it uses so it lasts longer. Um, but anyway, I don't really, it's kind of a dry article to read or summarize, but um, I don't know. We were just talking about SSDs. Right. And I'm sorry, I just went totally blank <laughs> looking over it now. <laughs> um so there's a new technology that wow. is, is still only exists in the lab right now. It's only proof of concept, but there's this neat idea where they figure. And again, the 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 media inside an SSD is is sort of it's not metal, it's not plastic, it's sort of somewhere. It's a combination of the two. Um, what they figured out is that if you heat them, it sort of resets the the balloon. Uh, and so they they figured out if you if you put a, a little heater in and every ten thousand writes or so you just melt the whole thing. It it's it sets all everything back to one. 
So you can essentially have infinite write, reads and writes on an SSD. Now, like I said, it's still very experimental, nowhere near production ready. But the idea is intriguing that uh, that you you heat this chip up, you you build in some sort of heating device that you know for a few minutes sucks five watts instead of the usual uh, five milliwatts and melts all the the data, all the the cells, and sort of resets them back to where they needed to be. Or uh, you could you know go um, even smarter and have the the drive diagnostics saying, all right, we're going to melt this cell now because it's starting to run out. Uh, so the the idea is intriguing, uh, but the, the it just goes to show that on the horizon, infinite write SSDs are probably going to come to fruition. Very cool. Yeah, that's some really cool cool technology there. It'll be you know probably another two years before we actually see it, but and then it'll be super expensive and only in the SLCs, and then it'll become you know commonplace. But that's yeah, really I mean, cool. it'll probably be something where it won't be like one heater, but there'll be like a grid of heaters yeah. overlaying it. And then because there aren't moving parts and it's just rearranging data in sectors, it'll do it behind the scenes. Okay, sector one today, sector two tomorrow, sector three, you know, right. and there'll just be a schedule where it rotates the data off of that section, uh, heats it, and then rotates the data back in uh, kind of thing. Uh, it's really pretty cool. So SSDs are not the now. They're almost the now, but they are most certainly the future. Um, because the well, you I'd, can't keep you can't keep spinning discs forever. <laughs> I would say they are the now. It's just going to be they're, they're the now with air quotes because you need to make sure you have something available for you when that when that drive does fail because it will fail at this point. There, it's not if it'll be when. So, and the same is true for a spinning disc. You know, they they have a hundred percent failure rate. They all die. Yep. So, but like I said, as long as you're keeping your data backed up, go SSD. Um, my next hard drive that I'll buy for e- any of my rigs will be SSD, just for the simple fact that, I, like my laptop, it needs to be fast. Because I, I I pull it out at work, I want it to pop open, and I, it just needs to be there. Uh, so my next one will be an SSD for my laptop. But on the same note, I have enough web storage so I can back up my laptop at any given time and not worry about losing space. So make sure you have that caveat in place that if you're going to go SSD, either religiously back up your system at this point or have something in place that does your backup for you. There you go. Backups. Always back up. Oh, no matter what device you're using, back up. Speaking of backups, uh, you are most likely hearing this right now on a backup copy of this recording because my Audacity machine has just frozen up. Completely uh, unresponsive. Oh, no. Not blue screened yet, but totally unresponsive. So, good thing I've got backups. <laughs> Speaking of backups. And you're running that on a what type of machine? The drivers <laughs> old, for my mixer machine? are only available on Windows. <laughs> Sorry, I got to poke that button whenever I get that chance. I, I, I make no apologies for it. It is what it is. If some listener out there would like to chip in and buy me a new mixer that's Linux compatible, I'm all for it. 
or just start buying a lot more stuff from elementop.com slash Amazon for your next car and house purchase. Then we can upgrade our equipment. It's been a while since we flogged the old Amazon link. Um, thanks for the, those of you who are doing it. Uh, I am seeing regular purchases being made uh, under my referral link. I certainly appreciate that and uh, would encourage more of you to do it. Doesn't cost you anything. Helps me out a little bit. And every little bit helps. Yes. All right. So I think that's good enough on SSE. That certainly wasn't exhaustive, but I hope it was more than uh, an introduction as well. Uh, somewhere in between. That's what we shoot for. Mediocrity here. We want somewhere in between <laughs> whenever possible. Something like that, at least. So, Chris, have you got a command line for us this week, or are you still abstaining for... I'm still purposes? abstaining with... Uh with the, the whole super sick and I'm sure everyone in the audience can hear that I am not sounding a hundred percent, but uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. I'm hopefully we'll be out of the woods here soon and I can start researching more command line tips, but it's, I actually took four days off of work because of this crap that I picked up. So yay me. I'm so happy. <laughs> And Chris doesn't take off of work because when he does, his wife gives him stuff he has to do around the house. So, you know, he's serious. Well, it's not just that. <laughs> it's in general. <laughs> Nothing gets done at work either when I'm home from right. work. So yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it works. So, yeah, um, I took four days. So I'm, I'm finally starting to feel like I'm not dead. Awesome. Uh, Seth, what do you got for us this week? I know I can count on you to have a link. Okay. I came across this app, um, and I just had to share it with the world. This is an Android. <laughs> I see now why you didn't put the name in the show notes. It is the poop log. And on the Google Play Store, P-O-O-P log. Track your bell. <laughs> Track your bowel movements using the Bristol stool scale. There is a something. Log. There's a such a thing as a Bristol stool scale. Who knew? And how am I supposed your, to know it? Share your it's poop listed. log with other Android apps <laughs> such as Twitter, SMS, <laughs> or, or wow. Attach a <laughs> attach a photo or note. To your poop log in case you need to visually log evidence that you did in fact clear your bowels. Wow. Export a plain text report for easy analysis. <laughs> I'm reading this off the <laughs> app page. I'm not making this commentary up. And the best thing about it, how much would you pay for such an amazing app? Well, but wait, there's more. You'd be wrong. The poop log is free. And I don't know if this guy was being serious when he posted his review, but he says, this app is really what I need. I suffer from constipation and the doctors always want to know the last time I've gone. Thanks for the app. So um, the link will be in the show notes. You can get it from the official Google Play Store. So you don't even have to hack your or root your device for you can share your poop log with your friends and the world at large because we all need to know. So I'm going to, to read the fact, the frequently asked questions. Why develop Pooplog? Is it a joke application? I was out of work on disability for seven plus months due to severe bowel problems. 
I'm a geek, so I started tracking everything, even my bowel movements. I figured others might want to do the same thing, so I gave birth to Pooplog. While it can be fun to track and tweet, Pooplog was originally developed to assist with tracking bowel movements for easy analysis by a health practitioner. Question number two, can I really attach a photo to my Pooplog? Why? This wasn't an original feature of Pooplog and won't be available until Pooplog 2 is released. For some reason, it's the most requested feature from my users. So I had wow. no choice but to include this great feature. When you take your first photo, you'll be asked if you'd like to um, share your Pooplog or keep your... It's it's a broken sentence. You'd, uh, you'll be asked if you'd like to Pooplog photos hidden from the Android gallery. This option is configurable through the Pooplog application. Oh, Element 524 in the chat room says there's another poop log for a buck. So don't get the, the expensive poop log. We only recommend the free poop log here on Everyday Max. Yeah, I think the other one is poo log Excuse without me, the P. Log. And you could go off on that, but poop log. Um, Wasn't the poo log where they sent Russian dis dissidents? No, Russian dysentery. That was it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I saw this one and I thought, man, if ever something was designed for Seth's uh, weirdness at the bottom of our show, it, it was the poop blog. That's what I, I want to know why this isn't an HTML5 app. It's surely they need to make this cross-platform. I need to log my poop from my laptop just as easy as well as from my phone. Well, you know, you can uh, you could probably throw up Android in a, a VM or something. No, throw up. That's and, a whole uh, different log. That's different. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, okay. You 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 can launch out. A, <laughs> well, see, that would be a six DM. on the poop scale when it launches out. That's a. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm incorrigible. Oh, don't encourage the show me. broke. <laughs> oh, I, anyway, I mean, come on, Mark. How is this one? Is this a great one for me? Oh, this ranks right up there with backyard circus equipment. That's yeah the the poo log. Oh, the fact that it exists and the fact that you found it. So I want to know how you found that. You just type poop into the Android market and see what happened? No, I was just looking at other stuff, and it was a link on one of the sources I go to for news. You know, because I have about fifteen sites that I pull up when I'm when I'm scrolling through the web looking for news sources for this show. And uh, one of you know, you click on that, and there's other links on the page. Uh, one of them was like you know, like five weird apps or something like that for Android. And I was like, well, okay, let me see what weird apps are selling. Um, and Pooplog, I was like. I found it. You know, it's like sometimes you just know when you run across something where it belongs in life. Well, I knew the poop log <laughs> belonged on Seth's section of the show uh, down at the end. Photos so, were the I'm most requested feature. I am surprised that you were able to keep a straight face the entire show when you knew this was coming at the end. Man, I was hiding it. You Let's know, not talk about coming it, at the uh, end when we're talking about this in the show notes. So no one else would know what it was. I didn't want Mark to say, Seth, you've got to change that. <laughs> no, uh, I would never I say that. <laughs> that is perfect and awesome. And I would never tell you to change it. Uh, 
Oh, how do you how do you recover from that? So you can't. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, if you've been listening for a while, you know how to contact us. Please do. And I, I can't top that. That's it. The show's <laughs> over. Good night, everyone.